0: Welcome back to the Black on Black Education Podcast. We are here with episode 42 with Mr. Jose Wilson, a math teacher in the Inwood Washington Heights area of New York City. So we dive into a bunch with Jose. Um, He's a prolific writer, so we definitely talk about his blog and his book, Uh, This Is Not a Test, the Narrative on Race, Class, and Education. Uh, Talk about the time that he spent at the White House. Um, We dive deep into um, the COVID-19 crisis and how it's affecting um, black students as well as uh, the current environment we're in around Black Lives Matter um, and the protests and search for racial justice in our society. Um, We definitely enjoyed talking to Jose. He has uh, some brilliant perspectives and uh, we know you will too. So with no further ado, let's get into it
1: hello hello! welcome back to the black on black education podcast um as always we get started by letting our guests um introduce themselves to the listeners who are you where are you from what do you do and why do you do it
2: my name is jose Wilson, and before uh the school year i was a veteran math teacher in the inwood washington heights area of new york city um and in addition, I am the executive director of EduColor, an organization dedicated to race and social justice issues in education. Um, I've also done any number of things here and there, including the author of This Is Not a Test, a new narrative on race, class, and education. So, um, done a little bit of this, a little bit of that, but I'm really proud of being a father and being a husband as well. And I think that's, that's the core of everything. So, I'm <laughs> blessed to be doing any of these things.
1: Uh. Love it, love it, love it. So we're gonna get back to EduColor. We're gonna get back to the book. We wanna get started by talking about that, I mean, from since the, the, the pandemic started, we have not been able to have an episode without talking about COVID-19 in some capacity. Um, and so, and then we also haven't been able to really have a, have a conversation without the reinsurgence of Black Lives Matter and what that is doing and how that is affecting the education system um, and particularly affecting low-income communities and communities of color. So um, in the last six months or so, how has your work changed?
2: Well, more than anything, I think um, it's really been a dramatic shift in terms of thinking about the inequities that exist within our system. Those of us who've been attuned to it knew that the inequities were dire, they were serious, and they were, um, frankly, racist. And um, when we started moving into this emergency uh, I'm calling it disaster distance learning because that's the only way you can call something like this. Um, I kind of revealed to a lot of people how deep these inequities were, whether it would be the uh, serious lack of technology to the Wi-Fi, to um, the health security or insecurity for so many of our kids and the uh, um, health insecurity. So, uh, those of us who are more familiar with like what's happening nationwide, we recognize that schools are the, the last and most enduring social safety net we have. In other quote-unquote high-performing countries, for example, like it doesn't matter whether or not you go to school, you still get food, you still get uh, health care. That's not the case here. Here, you know, our schools do have too many of those services where so many of our blackest and most vulnerable children need to survive. So for me, I feel like it's changed a lot of what I perceive in terms of... Um, the inequities, but being able to articulate those
0: things in more clear terms. So that's been me. If you, uh, if you put yourself in the uh, mind of a student um, and, you know, in, in your communication with them, um, how do you think they're feeling about uh, the, the, the changes currently?
2: There's at least, two, there's a billion different ways that I know my students are thinking about this, but there's a couple of things that I'm very confident about. There's one group of students who miss school, they wish they were not at home. They'd rather be in an environment where they feel like they can focus. Um, a lot of things have happened in their homes. I've had a couple of students whose uh, parents or uh, uncles or other like adults have passed away in their own circle. And that happened right as they were trying to learn things through um, these online platforms. So for them, I feel for them. And then there's the other folks who they feel like they're happier having been at home because they don't got to deal with all the things that come with what we consider school, whether it be, you know, teachers coming at them for whatever reason or having adults consistently, like being on top of them for any number of reasons. To um, And across the country, I would say there are students who are like uh, these racist ass teachers. <laughs> Pardon the language, but it's just facts. Like there's any number of Students who I know just said, give me the assignments, I'll do the work, I'll watch your videos, and, you know, I hand them in on time, and that worked for them. So those are things that we kind of do need to think about when it comes to the future of education. Is like, there's at least two different sets of folks who, you know, whether or not we like how schooling is going, they either loved it or hated it, and not anything, not anything in between, really. So that's where I'm at on any of that stuff
1: yeah absolutely absolutely and um, I mean as a teacher I'm seeing the same thing some of my students are not showing up to zoom at all they're not showing up to our in-person sessions at all but they're completing their work and it's because they felt like they needed to have that more independent study and being able to do things more on their own and then just like you said there are some students who are like there's no point in coming I don't get it when you say it online I, I need to be in the building it's not enough time I don't understand what's going on and so I just don't show up Um, and so I, I completely get both both ends of the spectrum and I feel for students because for me i was in college last semester and when this happened for the first like three weeks i didn't do anything because i was just so overwhelmed by like the consistent change and the expectations for my professors so i completely um understand where they're coming from for sure and so we'll take that and kind of move um switch gears and move into EduColor. color i want you to kind of just give folks an idea um a robust idea of what you do um with that work and how uh, folks can kind of learn more about
2: it. EduColor is a lot right now, actually. So um, as it stands, we, we are an organization dedicated to race and social justice issues. We've been around technically since 2012, but really formed in 2014. And we started just by doing Twitter chats. So we were an organization focused on just like trying to build community with educators of color, um, trying to solidify our own definitions of what we wanted to see with education at large. We wanted to have impact um, from our classrooms or from wherever we stood as teachers and as parents. But then um, obviously things started ramping up. I think with the advent of the Black Lives Matter movement, the original obviously back in when Trayvon Martin had, uh, was murdered, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we started to see that there was a serious gap in terms of the experiences of educators of color, who are responding to the moment versus uh, the rest of the education sphere, which was uh, relatively conservative. Uh, too many folks didn't understand how, just how deep uh, these incidents kept hurting us, whether it was uh, Ayanna Stanley Jones, uh, Tamir Rice, uh, Mike Brown, of course. Um, it was all of us who were already of color and conscious who were all on top of it, wanted to promote these issues and All the while, like, our white counterparts wanted no parts. They they didn't really see what the value was in having the conversation. So EduColor brought it to the fore. Eventually, we did become, like, the house for all types of Twitter chats that were super radical or uh, super controversial uh, back when, you know, anti-racism was not mainstream the way it is now. Um, And, you know, we ended up building an organization out of it. So at this point in time, we have about... um, 20 to 25 folks, but our core folks is about five to 10. We host an annual uh, conference. Now it's going to be virtual. So that's dope. But eventually we want it to be face-to-face again. Um, And we also have helped promote any number of things, including policy uh, from like the U S department of education. Well, before this one. Um, (laughs) And then um, we've, we've done any number of works with all types of organizations. So, you know, including Ted, including the center for American progress and, we continue to build in this way and soon we're going to start building out chapters of folks. But right now our work is really just centered on elevating um, educators of color specifically and anybody who wants to join our ranks for something that is hopefully more powerful specifically for our students and our communities.
1: Absolutely. And I think even hearing you talk about that moment, um, I was in high school during that moment and a predominantly white high school in Westchester, New York. And like, it was coming to school and feeling like you lived in a bubble that was outside of what everyone else was feeling. Because the day after George Zimmerman got off, like there's three of me and my black friends sitting in this classroom, and everyone else, it doesn't like it's not even registering to them that this would like be something that was harmful to us. And it was just so um, beautiful to hear that like in that moment there were people out there doing the work to make sure that we didn't feel like that because it was not happening in that building for sure. And when you're a kid, like when you're a kid in high school, you know, you don't, you don't call yourself a kid, but you're a kid and you don't understand, like you can't process how you can come to school feeling so heavy and so sad. And everyone else is like business as usual.
2: That's right. That's right. It's, it's typical too. And it's sad because people really think that like, I mean, granted, yes, there should be some sort of hope and optimism that everybody's going to change, but we really need, like, systemic change in order for that to happen. There has to be an idea underneath that foundation that says, hey, like, these these lives matter the fact that we even have to say like that black lives matter that's the baseline like we should be saying black lives are honored and valued just like everyone else's but this is a human rights issue but until people see it as a human rights issue then it's always going to be well those black people over there like they're just going to keep protesting and we can try to find a way to isolate them from the rest of us like no 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 no, you can't do that because and you keep doing this to us then it shows just how inhumane you are uh if you look you know back at the works of like James Baldwin and Audre Lorde and folks like that uh so so many of our ancestors have been saying this and now we get to be the ancestors to uh hopefully part that knowledge on everybody else
0: right right well you you've um i mean you've talked about this stuff a lot and 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 I, and wrote about it as well um, so why don't we talk a little bit about your, you know, your, your book, because you're, you're, you're speaking about the future of education. And, um, I imagine that's, uh, you know, what, what, what some of it's written about and, and just in the title, this is not a test. I, you know, I like how, you know, I like how that plays, uh, you know, plays off school. Um, you know, what, what did this book mean to you that, you know, well, what's the book about, you know, what did it mean to you in terms of the process of, of, of writing it and, uh, you know, who should be running, running to uh, go pick up their copy, uh, right after this uh, podcast episode. There's
2: an old saying that says, if you don't see the book that you want to read, you should go write it yourself. Okay. And so... uh this is not a test came from some of that thinking is when I went to Barnes and Noble, every time I wanted to go pick up a book, it was always either by some like an education researcher who has a doctorate already. If not, it was a celebrity. It was rarely um, a teacher. And when it was a teacher, it was a teacher who already left the classroom. So at the moment in time I said, all right, I've been blogging for a while. I've already gotten in trouble for it in massive trouble, frankly. Um, And I said, you know what? this is a time to write this book. And so I started writing the book. This is not a test. A new narrative in race class education. I would say around 2011 is when I really started writing it. And then by the time it was ready to like really get shopped around, I was fortunate to find Haymarket books, shout outs to them. And um, when they published it, I mean, it was remarkable too. Cause I remember that year, Nelson Mandela had died. Uh, the Trayvon Martin uh, case was, you know, was being argued and then eventually George Zimmerman got off same year. My father had passed away, I think two, two days before Nelson Mandela had died too. And I was trying to like get my editing process together. And then when it finally published in 2014, uh, that night I was in the union building. They had done a little party for me or whatever. I was really cool. And then the morning after I was going to the white house to go talk to Jill Biden. And, um, And Arnie Duncan. So, like, my trip had been really amazing in that sense. Like, that book really took me places. Um, But, you know, to the content itself, you know, some people, what people don't get is that when it comes to, like, authors of color specifically, like, I feel like I had to tell a part of myself in order for me to get the trust of the reader to fully understand where I was coming from when I went hard on issues of race and education and class, right? Mm -hmm. So that whole first section is pretty much about my life story. And this life story, by the way, being connected to so many life stories of our own students and then eventually becoming, you know, the teacher and the teacher leader and the person who is the vocal advocate for so many of us. Um, And at the time, too, like there had been at least... 10 really popular books including mine but out of those 10 you take away the ones that were from journalists and the teachers who i left there was this one book about the teacher who stayed in the classroom and that book was mine so um up until that point i was super proud of myself for having stayed in the classroom and written the book because so few of those books are out there right now
1: yeah
0: right we we can't let you get away without telling uh you know what you you mentioned in your blogging that you got in trouble come on man you got you got to, you got to share what that looked like. <laughs> well, I mean, again, a little <laughs> a little background. Uh, I, you know, I,
2: I'll tell you that the Bush Bush the Second, his administration really made me a super hardcore activist in that way, and so um, I started finding out that there were electronic means of getting my message out, and that was through blogging. When I finally put my name on things, I said, all right, so I'll start writing and see how this goes. I was writing about teaching, my stories, et cetera. And then it just took a very political bent. And once I started to talk about NYC politics, my blog got really super popular um, across the city to the point where, Uh, People all over the city were reading it, Um, New York Times, uh, Daily News, whatever have you. But then little did I know that my employer was also reading this blog. And um, once they started reading it, they were not very happy with what they had read about themselves. So um, long story short, they they blocked my blog from every single computer in NYC Department of Education. And and talk about like one point one million students, thirty four thousand uh, teachers, etc. Doesn't they blocked every single computer from my blog, except the ones in the central offices where I was told directly by some of them that they either loved to read my blog or they loved to hate to read my blog. So. Um, when I was in conversation with people, like they, you know, give me that funny energy, like they'd be funny style. I'm like, yo, you don't even know me like that. But apparently they did. Cause they've been reading my blog for all those years and they weren't happy with how I received their policies. But I was like, eh, like, at least you felt something that's good. Um, but that's how I got in trouble more or less. And it really was blocked for about 10 years. Only recently did like, they finally say, all right, take the block down because it's a different, different set of folks in charge now. But Yeah, I I started feeling it and in any number of ways. Uh, Anonymous letters sent to my, you know, sent to my school, sent to my email. um, And of course, whenever I would be in common spaces with, you know, different leaders, oh, you're that blogger guy. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm that blogger guy. And now I'm that author guy, too. So (laughs)
0: as y'all would say, um, period.
1: Oh, period. <laughs> period.
0: We, I mean, we definitely. Lo- I mean, it, it shows bravery. You know what I mean. It, and 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 the fact that you were doing this, um, you know, kind of before. Now that it is, there's kind of cachet about it, and, and everybody's, you know, doing it and speaking. And you you were, you know, kind of a- ahead of your time in that. So you know, salute to you in that regard. Um, you, me. you mentioned a couple of, you know, going to the White House. You know, why don't you dig into that a little bit? What was that about? Had that invite um, work out? And and you know, are there still connections to the, you know. <laughs> to the Bidens and the Arnie the Duncans
2: of the world. That's hilarious. So um, <laughs> the way that went down was interesting because, you know, I got asked by a couple friends if I was able to just take off one day and, you know, go over there because I guess they wanted my voice to be in that space. Um, normally at that time it felt like, you know, the, a lot of white teachers got to go, a lot of the teachers of the year got to go, but never folks who, you know, were – doing work uh critical work right to go into that space so when i accepted it i did not know what was gonna happen so like i'm on i'm on an amtrak must have been like five six o'clock in the morning um i rolled out of bed i said all right i'm in here let's go so i'm in my suit like just tired as hell because i've been Mm -hmm. teaching i've been going hard and you know i said all right i'm gonna get in this i'm gonna do this i get over there and it's just it's a weird scene for one like i I had a hard time even just getting into the building because they saw my ID, but apparently I hadn't cleared something. And I was like, see, this is what happens when you're an activist, right? Like, you know, you start getting on lists, but <laughs> eventually they let me in. And, you know, I, Obama was actually in that in the white house and everybody was watching him like leave, but you know, I didn't get to actually like meet him, meet him, because like he was on a plane to some emergency that had happened, but everybody was just, just the watching, just, Him being watched was a spectacle alone, right? So I got to see a little bit of the White House here and there. I got to see some of like the places where people convene. But uh, immediately we got ushered out because we had to go meet with Arnie Duncan with uh, Joe Biden. Then this is, um, you know, then now hopefully the next First Lady, right? Um, What was fascinating about that was like I was literally sitting in Joe Biden's seat. Like he has his own office he had his own office at the time at the executive building, which is like the building to the side of the white house. Right. And I'm sitting there. Everybody's like, Oh, you know, they're chatting in the other tables. I'm like, you know what? Let me just take fancy pictures. Oh, yo, y'all got to take a picture of me sitting right here. And all of a sudden, like everybody just stands up and I'm like sitting there and I'm like, why is everybody standing up? Like, I know I'm special, but y'all ain't got to do all that. (laughs) (laughs) Sure enough. There's this like six, four white guy that passes to my left. And I turn around, I'm like, oh, so I start getting up. He's like, no, 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 that's fine. Like, you could just, it, it looks good on you. And I was like, Arnie Duncan? Okay, like, we're doing this now. So, you know, I stand up, I go to my proper seat. I said, all right, that was good enough. That was funny. But I got to go back and, you know, ask questions. But it was dope because, you know, like, at the time I had, again, I, I'm still known as that guy who brings up the issues. People want to like ask about testing and all that. I said, All right, that's cool. But I got a real good question to ask him. One was about teacher leadership, which he tried to answer well, but you know, Congress wasn't really helping them out in terms of, you know, the funding and everything. And one was about the um the diversification of the teaching profession. And I think that's where he's like, I don't really have answers for that. I'm sorry about that, but I don't have answers and I want to be, you know, better about that. And once I heard that, I said, Oh. So I'm getting a real Arnie Duncan here because he had answers for everything except for mine. And wow. that told me everything I needed to know. Um and of course Joe Biden was cool too. Like she's dope. Um she has a she she's got a fire under her belly. I felt that. Um and she was still teaching too. So good on her. But um the experience was real dope. We got some pens, we got some like uh Barack Obama M&Ms, I think it was. Uh, <laughs> so overall just you know, it was a good experience. Um, but Did hopefully, hopefully.
0: Hmm? Did you eat the M&M's or did you just save them, man?
2: Bro, I had to eat the M&M's. <laughs> <laughs> I had to. Black president, I'm not going to eat those M&M's. I'm going to have them M&M's. <laughs> 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 but to your question too, right? Like, there's all this talk about me being the next U.S. Dep- you know, Secretary of Education because of a, a blog that came out on Forbes. And then, like, I responded to it. And everybody's like, oh, yeah, like, he'd be great. I'm like, don't do this to me, y'all. Like... <laughs> <laughs> like I would love to take that on, but you know, if I had a vote, I do have my own reservations. I think Linda Darling would be great. I think, um, I that- would be excellent. I think there's any number of people who like are prime time ready, but if I ever got a phone call, I'm picking that up. Like I'm in
1: there.
2: I'm putting in the work, but not, it wouldn't be for me. Like it would be for folks. Like I would be out there listening and hearing and reporting back. That'd be amazing to do. So We'll see.
1: That was, so that, was that was
2: that was Eva's goal at one point.
1: Yeah, and then I got cynical.
2: <laughs> Wait, tell me more about the cynicism.
1: Yeah, I, I I'm really just in a place right now where working in the traditional system is not something that I want to participate in uh-huh. <laughs> for a long period of time. Um, I just think that kids need good schools. They need good opportunities and trying to maneuver through a system that doesn't want that for them is much more difficult than creating ones outside of it. And so um, that's kind of where my, where my passion and what makes me excited about the future is coming from this idea that I can create spaces and opportunities outside of a system that again, does not want that for you. Um, And so my hope is that you get in that seat and you're (laughs) able to make me feel um, a way that um, gets me excited about someone in politics that truly, truly, truly cares. Um, but I have not felt that from a lot of folks. And um, I think that both, it's a both and situation. Both, we need to try to work on the system that currently exists and we need other things um, that'll work for other people, so.
2: I I feel that a thousand percent. And you know what, what um, kind of made me think about what I would do with such a seed is there's, like, folks who can move policy and those who can move culture, right? So, for example, like, AOC, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, like, she's somebody who people really believe in. But, you know, and she may move some policy, but her work is really about moving culture and moving the, la- the language and the dialogue, right? Similarly, uh, those of us who take on teaching, right, a lot of us are activists and we were activists growing up. We're activists now and we want to teach to do so, right? Because we understand that even if the system won't allow us to do certain things, we can have influence in ways that a lot of folks don't if we get to teach. Right. So I think that inside outside strategy is really where we, I think our minds need to be at that hybrid of understanding that we can move a lot of different things even when it looks like the system itself isn't necessarily bending to our will. Like we need to be the ones to, if we can't be the, the change, we have to inspire that change among everybody else and like build those cracks. Cause some of the most activist folk, folks I know ended up taking, you know, positions in any number of white houses or state governments and all other stuff. But cause they understand too, like, you gotta be able to move the people, but if that person isn't doing what they're supposed to do, you gotta get them out be that seat and then try to create cracks so the next person can you know go through that door a little easier so i don't know it's more complicated i think than what a lot of folks give it credit for and you know that's not that's not anybody's fault it's just what it is but i've learned some things and when i learned them i said oh right that's a different <laughs> level of things
1: yeah
0: so you you we, you know we're talking about kind of the inside outside game of, of uh, you know of, of school and which one is preferred and which one's better uh, recently in the news uh, I've seen that uh, Bezos is uh, is opening up the uh, Bezos Academy, which is going to be um, a series of Montessori schools um, They're starting the first pilot um, I think in the in the next week or two um, curious to hear just you know your, your initial um, thoughts on that and um, yeah, I'll leave it there.
2: I knew I was going to get asked that after I got tagged on Instagram. Um, (laughs) I peeped that. Listen, I think Jeff Bezos needs to pay his taxes. Um, That's what it is. I I think we need to create a more progressive policy, right, on taxes and make sure that the folks who make the least pay the least and the folks who make the most pay the most. And so – We would never have to worry about philanthropy or any other stuff if we just had great tax policy. There are countries out there that we consider high performing that charge about 70% in taxes. Um, and but with that 70 percent, they never complain about healthcare. They never complain about education. They always have brand new school buildings. They have good highways that never have potholes in them. They got all sorts of social services. So they're like, yo, like you're telling me that if I pay into this system this way, then what I get out of this is just everybody feeling healthy and safe. Then yeah, I'm going to pay that 70 percent, which is so American about them. So I don't know. Like, I feel like. I'm happy for Jeff Bezos and his Montessori models or whatever have you, but I feel like making it under his, I guess, cap is problematic in that even still, like, it'd be nice if everybody got that. And the way everybody gets that is him not being the first, you know, projected trillionaire is him being like, really strategic about saying i need to pay taxes like everybody else does not pay freaking zero percent taxes like well you know who but anyway
1: <laughs> i'm with you but we'll, but. we'll keep going <laughs> um and i think, and i think it no and i think it's just because again i think we see consistently these things that people with a lot of money are like yes i'm gonna do this and fight the good fight and yeah but it's like that's in a definition of like what is the good fight because if the good fight is hiring a bunch of white teachers and white like uh higher ups and and you're just making a system outside of the one that exists but that completely and totally works and operates in the same exact way that the other one does ah. what did you do right and so it's it's innovative and it's, oh my gosh, Jeff Bezos is doing something with all that money that he's not paying in taxes. Cool. Yes. Let's give him a high five for it because he's doing it in low low income areas. Let's test it out. Let's guinea pig these kids. And so to me, again, am I grateful that people are talking about education and think that it's important that we increase the educational outcomes of students in low income communities? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But then do I also think that we have to be very vigilant about what that recreation looks like. And if it's not recreation at all, it's just picking up, putting up and slapping another name on it. And, and I'm not really into the slapping band-aids and like another name onto something that's exactly the same. So
0: that, that's another level. So absolutely. I mean I def- I definitely think that um, there should absolutely be a you know a, a healthy skepticism around um, you know him and 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 you know kind of kind of what he's done with uh, with Amazon is you know it, it, that's a whole nother conversation but you know I can go into this goods and and and, and bad um, parts about that uh, as it pertains to this education um, component uh, I'm gonna go ahead and you know like withhold full you know ju- judgment and I'm gonna you know. in, in, I'm going to try to give him a chance. Um, I've been thinking about, I started putting down some notes for like an open letter to, you know, to him in the organization. Um, because I think that this is something that, um, perhaps they're right now they don't have the right plan um perhaps right now they're they are about to do some things um that 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 we're all skeptical um about but with the right communication from the right groups of people um maybe that that we we can influence um you know what they wind up uh what they what they wind up doing so i i um I'm I'm going to 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 do my best to try um to to you know curate that you know that that role like I I've, I've looked them all 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 I think they have like 18 people already I've seen all of them on LinkedIn you know everybody's about to get messages you know just 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 in some level of communication um to find out okay what are you guys doing and and, and you know it, it, it certainly already With is Those
1: 18 people look like all white people.
0: Okay. Um, and, 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 I think and, there was one black person. And
1: hold on and hold on my thing right? <laughs> I'm sorry. We got <laughs> to go into the birthday because my thing is that it's been done. There is an I Promise School. There is, there are these places. They exist. So you cannot tell me that when you're doing the research for how do I create a school in a low income community that works and does what it needs to do for these kids that having eight, 18 of the starting people be white that that. Is the innovation, and I should have, and I should not be be a critic and a skeptic and a, and a skeptic of it. Like I, I understand, I understand where we want to give people the benefit of the doubt, but I can't give you the benefit of the doubt if there is a archetype, there is a plan, there is the curriculum. It is there on the internet that Jeff Bezos, that I am paying right now, as we pay for the internet, that goes to Amazon, that he doesn't know how to find. Come on now, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I can't.
2: I would like to – and thank you because I actually want to uplift what you mentioned about um, LeBron James' school because after doing some research, um, the reason why he made it a public school, traditionally public, because, I mean, the other folks, other basketball players got mad. Like Jalen Brown got mad. No, Jalen Rose got mad because he had created a charter school and he's like, why am I not getting the same credit that LeBron James got? And that's because LeBron James said, I'm going to give – as much as I can, but this has to be uh, be accountable to the public. It has to be accountable to uh, Ohio and especially the kids who would be served by the I Promise school. So it'd be nice if Jeff Bezos took that model on and said, all right, so if I give 20% will the city of, let's say Cincinnati, I don't know. Cincinnati said, all right, you take on 80% to make sure that our kids are being served and I'll put in 20% just to make sure that everything is taken care of facilities-wise. Can we do that? Yes, then fine. Um, But what I think Bezos and Gates and Eli Broad and folks like that do is they say, well, I think I have the best innovation because I have mad money. So um, I'm going to make this super white with the one black person. And then um, I'm going to be real pretty about it. I respect optimism, though. I respect uh, school choice. I also have to just be very careful about what false choice looks like because it often, like, we end up uh, bearing the brunt of educational malfeasance. So that's kind of what I'm always nervous about uh, when it comes to multi-billionaires.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's going to be interesting. This is, this is something that, you know, we'll, we'll be talking about. I'm, I'm sure we'll, we'll get to revisit it in, uh, you know, three months, six months, a year, something that to that effect and, and see, see, and look, if, if in that period of time, you know, the, the LinkedIn looks the same and, and, <laughs> and you know, and, um you know, and they've started the school and it, and it's just, you know, it, I will excoriate them like everybody else. You know what I mean? But, but um I, I, uh, I want to give this, this a chance because it, it can encourage other people to, to do the, to do the same. Um, I definitely hear what you're saying about the, you know, about about taxes. I'm not convinced that just throwing more taxes, um, tax money at it is going to always solve the problem because of some of the, some of the bureaucratic components, um, that, that currently hold back the, you know, the system, those things are not going to go away just because you throw, you know, more, more, more money at it. So, you know, it's, it's obviously such a huge, huge, huge challenge. And, um, I guess that I'm, I'm hoping that the, that the all of the above approach we were able to pick something from here and pick something from there um so that you know five years from now ten years from now we you know we we have made noticeable you know change in uh in in what education looks like in our communities
1: absolutely we we definitely derailed it with that one we <laughs> derailed i love it but no i love it also because it was an, it's 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 relevant and it's so necessary to the kind of what we wanted to do with this podcast. It's having conversations about education, but the nuanced conversations, not the it's school choice or it's not, it's charter or it's public, it's this or it's that. It's the both and mentality that like we have to be able to like rip through these really difficult topics and then figure out as a collective, particularly in the black community, particularly in communities of color, how we're going to move forward in creating that system for ourselves. Um, and so since we derailed it, I'm gonna just hard right into into our next question, which was about, um, this rise of anti-racist education right now you were talking about it a long time ago now everybody and their mom is talking about it everybody's saying that this is something that's important that needs to be in schools and then we have the juxtaposition of like our current president who's like no we need anti-racist education is against america we need patriotic education whatever that is whatever we've been getting all this time i guess um so after we have kids for 12 years, pledge allegiance to a flag, they don't, let me stop. Anywho, um, so let's talk about like, what does that look like and what 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 is the, what is having the conversation about race in schooling, particularly as someone who's a math teacher? Um, what is talking about the role of race in education? What has that experience been like for you, both as a student and as an educator?
2: Multi-level answer here. Okay, okay. Um, as a student, I attended both private and public schools i was elementary public uh middle and high school uh private all boys catholic um that was a fascinating experience right um i think in that time i started to pick apart what anti-racism had to mean for me first uh the idea that we would try to level whatever like human experience we had amongst us to make sure that whatever happened happened in proportion to what everybody else felt and that the experiences that folks were getting, um, from one, let's say public sector, I don't know, like policing, um, would necessarily have to apply to another group. And if they didn't, then there was a disparity, no matter if it was two to one, 21 to one, a hundred to one, like everything had to be, in accordance. So that's where we grew up with the words equality, right? Um, At some point I started to recognize that there were people who, regardless of how many times you told them that you were a full human being and you deserved equal rights, that you weren't, uh, that they were going to find a way to make sure that you didn't feel that in any sort of way. Um, And that's when I said, Oh, so this, this is like a little game that's being played uh, where, you want to talk about implicit bias, but you are explicitly being biased. And a lot of that came through school. So you'd you'd read things like Things Fall Apart by Chinua Achebe, right? And uh, praise the ancestor for that. I was reading that in high school. And as I'm reading it, like I wrote a book about basically, excuse me, I wrote an essay about how like not only how wonderful this book is, but how it really talked to me about, you know, being a black child in the hood and, you know, what it meant for me to understand um, the impact of slavery upon so many people who look like me. And then the teacher straight up told me to disavow my opinion on what the white colonizers had done at the time. Um, and of course, this is me in a very white school, a very white staff, very few people I could feel like I could turn to around this issue. Actually, nobody who I could feel like I could turn to. So I just I didn't disavow it. I just kind of did one of those. OK, like, OK. And so, you know, since then, like I just said, all right, I know what this is all about for so many of our kids. It's like. You can, you can explicitly tell people, oh, yeah, I'm totally, like, non-racist and all this other stuff, but, you know, your actions and your pedagogy and your curriculum tell you the exact opposite, yeah? Um, even if you think, oh, well, you know, you got to take the centrist route and all, all the other stuff. So much of what we consider the facts aren't just so much about what the facts they are, but also about, you know, the, the facts that we present. If all you ever tell people is, well, you know, police officers are supposed to do this. Well, let's talk about what they actually have been doing. And if you never talk about what they actually have been doing to, let's say, Black kids and to Black adults and... To any number of people who feel marginalized By uh, what policing Has actually done historically as well as Contemporarily then that's an issue Uh, And you know even talking about Housing and how housing works people are like well You know housing you know is very complicated And there's all these formulas that go into it But then you know you start getting all the facts The real facts like oh well if you're A black house you know household owner You recognize that your house isn't going to be As valued as a white household owner who Lives right next to you and you Have all these issues of redlining and segregation and all these like different things that immigrants got that were non-white versus the um, versus the ones who were white. I don't even want to say non-white. I want to say people of color generally, but specifically Black people uh, never got the benefit of a doubt when it came to uh, credit scores, and which, by the way, is also a whole racist measure which people really don't get. Lending, um, like, it's just levels of things. And I said, anti-racism isn't just about, you know, whether or not you like somebody <laughs> based on the color of their skin. It's a systemic approach to understanding the broad set of experiences that uh, people of color in this country have. And until we can fully... Because right now, anti-racist pedagogy is, is cute because you could put it on an Instagram post and you'll get a thousand likes. And if you put in Brianna Taylor's name, you may get some more likes and I'm so happy for you. But then <laughs> there has to be a sense of like getting in trouble which I don't really feel with a lot of folks that like they feel. I feel like so many folks are these days, they're not getting in trouble for the things they say. They get in trouble for just getting close to it. And then they're like, nah, Never mind, It's okay. Like, I just want to make sure that you feel like I'm a human being. I'm like, no, actually like my answers taught me, I am a full human being. And that is problem. If you did not think I'm a human being, um, but anti-racism assures me my place in this, uh, country, in this world. It tells me, uh, pretty much that I am a black man who is well deserving of all the human rights. And so in my own math class, like I walk in there as a full human being, and I expect all of my kids to also feel like full human beings regardless and because of who they are, whether they emigrated from Mexico, from uh, El Salvador, whether like their first um, – first, um, Generation immigrants coming in, whether they're actually native-born folks who are coming in directly from, let's say, Harlem, and they're like, "That's the only place I've ever lived, the only place I know." You are still welcome in my classroom. That is, in itself is anti-racist, because so many of our teaching, so many of our teachers make kids feel like they do not belong. Right. That lack of belonging is serious. It is. It can be racist. And if you try to find a way to make kids feel like they belong, that is a good way to start the the journey of anti-racism. Even in the math classroom, my own pedagogy, the the standards are going to be what they are. But once I tell my kids, well, you belong in this math, in a subject that has often been pushed away from you,
1: Um, that has
2: been stripped from you, uh that in and of itself can be anti-racist, but it has to be part of the structure of understanding the systemic parts and understanding that the trouble you must get in when you tell people that they are full of human beings and deserving of the rights that are endowed upon them by their ancestors and the folks who fought for them.
0: Right. Yeah. Right. I got it off my chest. <laughs> uh, well, let's, well, let's, let's get a little more of your chest because, you know, we're widely we, we, listened to. And I think that teacher that you were talking about is probably probably listening somewhere. You know, what, what would you what would you want to say, you know, specifically to, to, to her um, to, you know, now that you're, you know, you're, you're, again, you're in a position that, you know, that, that she was in. What would you want her to know about what she said, um, you know, how made you feel at the time and and what it might be doing to other kids if she's continuing to do that same type of thing? So he was
2: supposed to be teaching social studies and he was, it's not even so much about being non-biased. It's at the very least saying, these are my biases. This is where I grew up. And these are my understandings of the world. I would most definitely take somebody who says straight up, like, I don't believe in this black Lives matter stuff. Like I'd, I'd be more comfortable with that than somebody who says, well, you know, I just believe in everybody and everybody deserves. And and then all the while you find out that they don't actually believe in everybody like that. Right. Um, I think for me, I would want to tell them that, you know, yes, you may have these beliefs, but these beliefs do not take away from the facts that are right here and the experiences that you decide to ignore consistently. And then uh, conscientiously ignore about how we feel in this country when we hear things like being patriotic when we hear things like um liberty and justice for all when wow. we recognize that uh the founding fathers of this country uh whether we celebrate them or not right and that's a whole other conversation isn't it um they created this document this founding document for white male wealthy landowners and everybody else was not included in that document and we had to fight for every single inch that we got out of whatever your you know what was written on paper right and the civil rights movement did a whole lot but for us to have a we have to create a mass movement just for you to believe that we're human beings that's problematic as hell Right. So all the things that you've been trying to teach me, all the chapters you actually never showed me about reconstruction, all the ways that, you know, never you never acknowledged that Ronald Reagan did what he had, what what he did to so many of our communities. Um, And all of that was systemic. None of that was conspiracy theory. And how you taught us how you taught us that Malcolm X was way too angry to be taught Um, and that Martin Luther King, you diluted him and McDonaldized him. Um, just to make him placate to your sensibilities versus Mm -hmm. actually reading what he actually wrote. Those are things that um, this teacher would have to reckon with is this idea that you thought that by not exposing me to these things, you would try to make me into somebody who would fall in line with what your vision of a student should be. And Mm -hmm. once upon finding out all these other elements Um, all that did was make me dilute who you were as a pedagogue. So tell me what it really is. And I'd rather find out this way than being exposed to the idea that 20 years of my scholarship has been a lie Mm -hmm. and me having to go find it out all on my own. So those are things that I, I consistently think about. Got it.
1: Yeah. Got it. And so I think what you're saying is so indicative of, kind of where we're at in the education system where we have educators such as yourself and educators that I'm working and learning how to be um, that believe in this this right to knowledge and this right to, there is no truth. Like there is no, this is just it. This is not what, that's not how it works for anything. And so trying to figure out how we bring that and implement that into the into the education system when we have a system that thinks that Making students bubble in answers on a test mm. is going to is going to get them where they need to be, and so I want to finish out the conversation talking about testing, talking about why we believe that that is the way to go, and particularly for you in a subject, teaching math where testing is heavily used, um, what comes to mind when you think about um, ways to Eradicate um, the way that we test currently, um, and 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 moving to a to a to some other different system of gauging um, student knowledge.
2: We have to talking about systemic, right? We mm-hmm. have to recognize that testing, in and of itself, was an instrument that was basically developed by eugenicists, folks who did not believe in the equality of man. Um, and so, once we start, re- and you know, you read folks from like W.E.B. Du Bois, who told people straight up, like, testing is racist, and here's why. Like, there was no if and uh, buts about it. Um, We in this country still believe in testing because for whatever reason, we think that these tests are unbiased. Mm -hmm. Like, they're just going to create a flat line of what everybody's doing at this moment in time and yet and still we have this so-called achievement gap which is so persistent no matter how many times we try to address it through strictly academic means um and only when we start addressing the more systemic elements that surround the education do we start seeing this so-called gap Close. Now, the reason why I call it so-called gap, by the way, is because Gloria Latson billings is um, a monster in this element. She's basically like, well, this is not so much an academic gap or achievement gap. It's actually an education debt that we owe to so many of our folks, which is obviously hearkening to conversations about reparations for black people and good on her for bringing that up. Um, there's any number of metrics that we can actually use to assure that, you know, we have, because I think schools are teaching our kids something. I think over time we start seeing that the data is, is bearing out how schools do have an effect in terms of, um, trying to create at least a parallel to what their white counterparts do. Cause the minute that, you know, black kids aren't in school, the white, (laughs) the the white students end up getting that boost because, you know, they get tutors thrown at them they get year round activities thrown at them. So many of our black kids, our Brown kids don't necessarily get those benefits because they don't have the resources. Right. But the minute they're in school, there is this kind of like parallel effect that happens as you look at the research where, I struggle is it, testing shows us as much about what kids don't know as what it shows that they do know. And so we don't actually really know what kids learn. Like there's a difference between schooling and then an education. Yeah. And so we may not necessarily know everything that the kids had learned throughout the year because the tests only test for things that, uh, the state wanted them to learn not everything that they actually did try to learn throughout the year. Um, not what the teacher had tried to teach, which is again, a a broad conversation, right? Um, I am, that's why I'm in favor, for example, of like, um, performance-based assessments where, you know, people can build projects out and demonstrate what they've learned throughout the year. I'm in favor of using multiple strategies for um, discussing what kids learn, even like kids giving oral presentations, because, you know, you always have that kid who, um, and they always get invalidated too, right? Like, oh, well, you didn't write anything on paper, but you seem to be totally with it when we're having discussions about it. Um, that, that never gets validated, unless, by the by the way, I should also mention too, when we test students for whether they've learned English, we practice four modalities, right? Reading, writing, um, speaking and listening. The speaking and listening rarely get tested for, um, for everybody else, right? It's only when it comes to learning how to speak English. So that in and of itself tells us that we need to start thinking about what those modalities might look like when it comes to whether or not kids learned math. Because there are kids who straight up, you know, say, prom- tell you up and down, they don't know how to subtract or they don't know how to add or whatever have you. But the minute you put them in the grocery store, they're all up and down and they'll tell straight up, yo, you owe me. It's like, how do you know about that? Right? Oh, because blah, 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 blah. Okay, great. So like, that's what Common Core try- tried to address, but they never made it culturally relevant, did they? So <laughs> if they had made it more culturally relevant, then this conversation around like whether or not you know black kids can do this or brown kids or Native American first indigenous you yada yada right like that wouldn 't have been a conversation, but you decided to go with the, the white lens about achievement gaps and whatnot instead of saying, we can do better with testing, which is by the way what high performing countries around the 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 world actually do they do better on testing because they do better around assessments and they do the oral presentations and all the other multifaceted ways and not the narrow thing that we have in this country so um which often feeds into corporations and all the other good stuff but we we know the vibes already we
0: know the vibes (laughs) (laughs) so man i mean this is this is the kind of Conversation. We could obviously just you know go on and on for you know forever because there's just work to 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 be done. You know, but we appreciate you know people like yourself and 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 even who are out here. You know, who are out here doing it for sure. What you know, if you had to to sum it all up, you know what I mean. And you wanted to you know leave people with something that you know that they can study, that they can you know look into. You know, something that that is just you know the kind of most important piece to this overall conversation um what what do, what do you think that would be
2: i think it goes to um either's point yeah around how complicated everything is and there's always going to be a time for us to push and there's going to be times for us to pull and there's going to be times for us to reflect as a classroom teacher i have learned that some of the best strategies for organizing and community building and trying to become a better person in this life was through the things I learned by teaching. Um, in the ways that we can do that, we are better for it. So me as a classroom teacher, I've learned how to, you know, be resourceful. I mean, obviously as a black person, I learned how to be resourceful because I'm from the hood. Right. But um, <laughs> there's other, there's so, so many different things that like I look at the world and I say, well, this is, really, really <clears throat> profound, and I'm happy for the framework that you've decided to use, but I really want to complicate this, because once I complicate this, then I can do better to understand what's happening in this. Uh, that, that's like that math teacher in me, that black math teacher who's always trying to find ways, but in that math, there's always other ways to try to find a problem solved. And at least try to get to a point where the next person after me can do better than I did, which is something that I've always had to learn. I think um, when it comes to this, generally speaking, I want to make sure everybody understands that they are full human beings, yes, yes. Black lives don't just matter. They ought to be valued. They ought to be honored. And we need to find a way to get to abolition and to um, anti-racism and really uh, think about what all that looks like from a number of perspectives. But we can't do any of that work until, A, we fully recognize that we are full human beings and that the next person over, B, is also a full human being, no matter how flawed, no matter how complicated, and C, Try to have enough grace and empathy for all the ways that our systems push down upon so many of us to complicate all the matters that we try to work with. And then E, try to relate to one another in a way that assures that we all get that collective humanity, that collective liberation that we've been seeking so much. So those are things that I'm thinking about right now.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, I definitely love, you know, what, what you're saying there, because that, you know, that, that, that humanity point, um, it opens a space, you know, for, for, for solutions. Like if you can't get to that, that point um, as, as a foundation, um, you're typically not going to go anywhere, you know, because you're just, you know, people are just talking past each other, you know, mm-hmm. all, all the time because we haven't, you know, looked in each other's eyes and, and, and you know, heart to heart. Um, and then start the, 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 the conversation from there. Um one of the things we always love to do is uh you know at, the, at we to, to end off the show is we um we find out whether you know you have any questions uh for for us. So anything you can think of.
2: What do you hope to do next with black on black ed? Mm.
0: well she's the founder, so I'll let her answer, you know. All right, founder <laughs> the right, founder, founder. So what do you want to do next?
1: Um Next, it's really just like it's continuing to create space for conversation. It's continuing to um, be able to criticize while also um, loving, right? One of my favorite quotes of all time is by James Baldwin when he says something to the effect of um, um, uh, I love America so much that I I I will incessantly and consistently criticize her. And I think that we criticize the people that we love because we love them, because we want them to grow. We we want them to be better. And so the education system has done an insurmountable amount for me. Um, I have always been someone who loved going to school. I have always been someone who loved um, education. even when I didn't have great teachers, I still loved going to school, one, for the social aspect, two, because I like to learn. And so I have to give back to a system that gave to me um, by criticizing it incessantly Um, because there's so I would be in a much different place in my life right now if I got what I needed um, in the K through 12 system and so I just want to be a part of creating conversation with the already set foundation of impeccable human beings like yourself who are out there like doing the work and so I just am so grateful being 22 years old my first year in teaching being able to have conversations with people because it's consistently going to make me a better teacher um but in terms of black on black education like I said it's creating space for conversation because the answers a lot of them are already out there it's getting more people to understand that the answers are already out there and that's why we like that's why black on black education is the thing right we have a long tradition of black people teaching other black people and so that is what we just have to continue to do continue to do that work and then bringing in our white counterparts who we need to kind of understand these things also so we can change the we can do that both and change the system inside and create systems outside
2: yes indeed
0: and I would add, you know, that we are in growth mode, you know, we're in the process of, you know, really building out the team There's you know, hopefully an announcement I'll be able to make in the, you know, in the next, you know, couple weeks about somebody, you know, to help take some of this vision that we have and, you know, put it into bite-sized pieces that we can start to, you know, to chew off. But, you know, we really do want to be a space and a stand for education for Black
1: and Brown boys or, or, and, and everybody. <laughs> you know, like we exactly, exactly. we're get, we're working on yeah, it. So black like, and brown people.
0: Black and brown people. Thank you. Yeah. Um so well, LGBTQIA non conforming folks huh? Thank you. Yes.
2: That's yeah. it's okay. We all got we all got work to
1: do, right? Okay. So, like, it takes time. So every I mean I do it to myself. Sometimes during the events I'll be like, hey guys, or I'll say it in class and I'll be like, oh, I'm trying to use gender neutral language. Right. Hey folks. Hey everybody like consistently doing it. So yes. We're growing and learning together. <laughs> yes, that,
0: that, that is that is that is the case. That is the case. Yeah, um, you know we're going to be looking for some more interns to uh to 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 join the team. That there's like literally you know kind of business units that we're looking to to expand out. Um, you're looking for some student leadership. Um, so we might be, be coming to you. You know for that we think that you know student voice has got to be you know kind of. Uh, the foundational yeah. um, of, of of what um, the transformation of education looks like, so you know what what, what does that look like for black black o black education to help you know guide a, a group of young leaders um, to to you know have their own union of sorts you know so that so that a group of students get to say you know this is what we need from the from the system um, and that there's as much power or more power in their word than there is in the you know in in, in teachers unions and, and stuff so um, it's uh, we got a lot of work to do big dreams <laughs> big dreams we got a lot of work to do uh, but we're at it on a uh, on a day to day basis that's right.
1: Yeah, that's it. We did it. We're hit almost exactly an hour. Um, I'm so excited. This is such a good episode. And thank you everybody for listening. Any any last words, Jose, before we before we end it?
0: Yeah, where can people find you? You know, how, how do they engage with you? All that good stuff. Twitter at the JLV,
2: Instagram at the Jose Vilson. My website is TheJoseVilson.com. For more on the EduColor movement, that would be EduColor.org or at uh, EduColorMVMT, wherever social media uh, is is there, I guess. Um, (laughs) I'm sorry, I haven't had my full coffee yet. But (laughs) uh, in any case, thank you all for having me. Y'all were great.
1: Yes. All right. Thank you. Bye, everyone. Have a good one, man. Peace.
2: Take care.